This is a Federal News Network podcast. With the IRS possibly getting big budget boosts in the next few years, the question becomes whether it can hire the people it says it needs with any reasonable speed. A longtime federal management expert says a solution is right there in plain sight. American University professor Bob Tobias joined Tom Temin to talk about it. And Bob, hiring, of course, is a impediment in some ways to every agency because of the federal civil service system, which we treasure for the merit systems that it embodies. But there is other ways to hire people than the standard way. And your argument is, tell us. Well, Tom, the Internal Revenue Service um, has the responsibility to collect taxes from the people who owe taxes. And there's a significant tax compliance gap. And right now, uh, the IRS is currently not up to the task because its workforce has been reduced by 20 percent um, over the past few years, and its technology is behind. Um, so IRS needs to hire the right people and increase its techno- technology capacity. And it can't, I don't believe, do it under the current Title V system. So I believe the IRS should be given the same hiring and pay flexibilities as the FIREA agencies, agencies like the Securities and Exchange Commission, the Consumer Financial Protection Board, and the National Credit Union Administration, who deal with, quote, the federal examination of financial forms, close quote. Certainly that applies to the Internal Revenue Service. FIREA referring to the Financial Institutions Reform, Recovery, and Enforcement Act, which dates back to 1989. It's strange that the IRS wasn't included there in the first place, since it looks at so many, not just individual forms, but the corporate forms. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, Indeed. I believe they're eligible and could have been included. And, you know, Congress amended the original 1989 Act to allow for hiring faster and to pay more to attract the talent Congress felt they needed to duel with the highly paid private sector accountants and attorneys. The IRS is in the same place and could benefit from those flexibilities. Yeah, employment flexibilities are numerous in the federal government. I think OPM identifies well more than 100, but also says that the research shows that most agencies use maybe one or two of them if they even are aware of them in the first place. And so here is a possibility, but sounds like this would take congressional action to give IRS the FIREA authorities. It would. It would take Congress to consciously give them the same flexibilities as the FIREA agencies. And I mean, they need sophisticated accountants. They need sophisticated technologists. They need sophisticated people to answer the phone promptly and accurately. And they can't possibly cover the 20% they're down now, plus fill the vacancies from retirees and attract the quality workforce without both the pay flexibilities, uh, the hiring flexibilities and the ability to pay more. Yeah, this seems to be an issue, Bob, that occurs across the government is that the mission creep happens. Agencies get greater and greater roles put on them, mostly by Congress, but sometimes by administrations. And then the question of basic capacity comes up. Well, yes. You know, the, the IRS was tasked with the responsibility of sending out all of the uh, all of the checks to individuals as a result of COVID. So they were right in the middle of the tax season. So they had to stop doing what they were doing 
and send out the checks, which required an update in their technology and taking people away from what they normally do to pump out the checks. Now, the checks were important, but the Internal Revenue Service was taken off its normal job to do something important, but still not its normal job. And now it needs to focus on collecting taxes from the people who owe taxes. We're speaking with Bob Tobias. He's a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. I sometimes wonder if agencies go too far in using flexibilities that are outside of the merit systems hiring, even though those are legally available to them. At what point does the merit system become kind of irrelevant? And we're back to, I like that guy, let's get him in, or I like her, let's get her in. So the um, FIREA agencies... um, are covered by the basic merit principles. And in all these years, Tom, there's been no OIG or GAO um, discovery of doing what it is you just suggested might occur. So I'm pretty confident that using that construct will enable IRS to do what it needs to do without hiring uh, cousins and brothers and sisters. I guess this idea of hiring flexibilities could occur across the government. We mentioned the IRS got a lot of extra duties in the various pandemic response of the uh, Congress. Same thing for the Small Business Administration. For that matter, look how much FDA has had to twist and turn. The Centers for Disease and Control Prevention, uh, CDC in Atlanta. I mean, a lot of agencies have been just pushed almost to the limit, and the result is a lot of confusing information comes out to the public and a lot of backfilling of holes in programmatic setup we've seen over the past year that in some ways makes the government's competence come into question on the part of the public, and it's really not the civil servants doing necessarily. They're evidence of a symptom. Well, the issue of hiring flexibilities is something that's been around for a long time, and both the National Academy of Public Administration in a recent report to the Office of Personnel Management and the Office of Personnel Management is saying we need to address hiring in the federal government. And I think they will. But this is something that needs to happen now, right away. And it could be, it's an easy fix. It only takes a couple of uh, lines in the code to include the IRS and allow it to move forward. And it needs to move forward now. I've often wondered whether perhaps a model like the National Guard might be needed for civilian agencies. There's a certain set of a couple of hundred thousand, a few hundred thousand people out there doing their careers that have expertise in some of the matters that agencies deal with. And if there's some kind of a surge, like cash for clunkers or something that comes up, people could be enlisted. Come on, join us for a year anyway to get through this hump. Well, you know, that's kind of an interesting idea, Tom. I suppose the problem with the IRS is that the uh, tax law changes so much and so frequently, the regulations change so frequently, you really have to be a current employee in order to keep up not only with the changes in the law, but the changes in the way the IRS implements the law. So the IRS does have a large temporary workforce that comes on during the tax filing season, and they, they are trained every single fall, and they come on and they work from usually mid-January, depending on workload, till mid-June. So these are like permanent temporary employees. And the IRS gets back in some of these locations, 80 or 85% of these temporary employees, people who want to work only four or five months, and they get paid, and they're eligible for health insurance. So the IRS does use this temporary surge hiring, and I think a pretty effective way. 
Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. And you can hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe on Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person 
in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but 
your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.